Hey everybody, Joseph here, one of the pastors at the First Presbyterian Church of Flint, and I wanted to welcome you to our sermon podcast, a show that features the latest sermons preached here at First Pres. But first, a little bit about us. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation, proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. We have a vibrant and thriving ministry to our neighbors here in Flint and are engaged weekly in worship, faith formation, a dynamic ministry to kids and teenagers, and community building across generations. You can learn more at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 930 to worship with us. We'd love to welcome you and your family to worship. Now, here's this week's sermon. It's not that I'm biased or anything, but My mother is a remarkable person. Funny, almost always with a smile or a mischievous smirk on her face. Still pretty spry in body and mind. And up to the time of her stroke about five years ago, we we could still and did race down the sidewalk in front of her house. And she would always, well, I would let her win. Since then, we don't do that anymore. She has slowed down a bit, doesn't have as much energy, but she still drives, she still gets where she wants to go, where she needs to go, not just with the same vigor or carefreeness as before that time. She's even-keeled, ever-patient, quick to forgive, always has been. Like anyone and everyone else, she holds her opinions about most everything, but she has never, she has never used them as a tool to to sever relationships or to alienate those around her. I think that comes, I think that comes from an ethic by which she lives. And while I've never been, it's never been articulated by me or anyone else allowed in this way, I think, I think it's close to Paul's admonition to the letter, to his letter to the church in Rome. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Huh, I gotta wonder, Paul. Were you aware of the terror beginning to rain down upon the church through that dominating empire seated in Rome when you wrote this letter? Nero was already in power. The horror, the horror. So far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Or Peter, who certainly knew when he wrote from Rome to Christians who had fled the persecution already taking place there, he knew and yet still called upon the church 
to have a tender heart, to be clothed in humility, to, to not repay evil with evil or abuse with abuse, but rather to repay all, to repay all that with blessing. Almost a line straight out of the mouth of Jesus on the cross, uh, out of the mouth of Stephen as the stone crushed his body. Those mouths of those 21 Christian martyrs beheaded on the Libyan beach seven years ago, who all died, who all died praying, Father, forgive them. Being in Christ, Peter writes, it is for such a way of life as this you were called, even in the midst of the fiery ordeal, to suffer with no evil on your tongue, no deceit on your lips, but as those who've been entrusted to God, as one whose sole concern is to live in a way that represents Christ Jesus, who was meek in heart, humble in spirit. Because, Christian, you bear his name. Even in suffering for Jesus, in the furnace of fiery trials that tempt you otherwise, continue to do Good, Peter writes. And that's my mom. As I've known her my whole life, her tongue kept from evil, her lips kept from speaking deceit, her, her face turned ever to good, her whole being seeking to live at peace with everyone. Sure, she and her kids don't, the other kids. She and our dad did not always see eye to eye, and voices certainly still get raised. Verbal hurts are still dished out and received head on. Sure, there are times when she lost her cool, mostly times though now long past, when, when her keen, prodigious curiosity, when the keen, prodigious curiosity of her four clever and creative children pushed her to the brink of madness. Katie may understand that. We were, we still are, good at providing her plenty of testing, and we're just as good at reminding her of those times she lost it, just to help keep her saintly humble. But in all the testing, what she has always demonstrated, always demonstrated, even as we still hold our different opinions, and trust me, we have a plenty, was a commitment to something, to someone greater than herself, than her own way, or to her desire to shape us in her own image. And so, apology and forgiveness has always ensued, and sooner rather than later. 
So far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. And I know, I know it's not one of our readings today, but surely it's connected to what Jesus says about his sheep knowing his voice and following him. It's not one of our readings today, but certainly it is pertinent to what we hear in the, in the voice of Jesus speaking to John like a trumpet in the revelation of wondrous, glorious events taking place in the heavens, even as brutish, vulgar, cataclysmic events take place here upon the earth. My mom grew up in southeast Detroit, Kitchener Street, Maybe you know where that is, Pat. Just off the canals. Her dad worked in the shops, tool and die man. Her mom ran the house and took in borders, funny stories about those borders, let me tell you, to help provide for the five children they had. My mom, being the youngest, was often kept home from school to help around the house. Her teen years, she hung with a tough crowd, the Kitchener cats, they called themselves, a pack of smokes rolled up in her sleeve. It's a funny picture. It was like a smoldering furnace, those Detroit streets in the 40s and 50s, right in her backyard. Racial conflict, economic hardship, job insecurity on the rise as companies began moving jobs out to the suburbs and the populace followed the trend. Rising unemployment, labor battles. In fact, my grandfather dabbled for a few moments with the communists who had moved into the UAW. Fun stories. Urban blight, sanitation problems, and the ever-present attractive lures that, that seek with smooth and easy words but are supercharged with hostility and discord, words of tempting promise to, to take your place ahead of the other, to be more than them, to not bother with others except in how they might help you build bigger barns, be accepted and successful at his and her and their expense to gain control of the struggle and over your future by planting yourself on this sure footing that you, searching teen and frustrated adult and battered community, weary and worn, are longing for in a world fraught with increasing non-stop fiery ordeals that are leading it straight to hell in a handbasket. Oh, she knew the streets of Detroit the trials and temptations besieging it, besieging her. But after responding to his ever-present call and being reeled in by Jesus, the greatest fisherman out there, right? Sometime around age 20, mom's footing shifted, her struggle refocused. She began to let go of the headstrong charge led by her own or culturally popular ways of confronting the trials that, that engulfed her, same trials that engulfed us and engulf us still today. And she began learning to quiet those voices and listen for his voice, 
the voice of Jesus, her heart began to long to beat in sync with his. Her head and mouth and hands now fought, uh, sought to follow his lead, and she grew. She grew in desire for him, more of him, Jesus began to let go of the ephemeral things of life, learning to let them slip from her finger hold so that even, even just the hem of his garment might be all that she had to cling to. My mom's a remarkable woman. And I know, and if she ever were to hear this or watch this or hear about this, it's true, I've painted her more of a saint than she is, no doubt. But I paint with the vibrant colors of her life's trajectory, the gilded hue she has been clothed in for, for at least the 58 years I've been loved and nurtured and guided by her. Not that she's ever had any literal fiery ordeal like the persecutions the church of Paul and Peter suffered, or John, as he penned that revelation. No fiery ordeals that the church continues to suffer in other places around the world. But she certainly has had plenty of fiery ordeals. Trials and times of testing and times when the temptation was there to, to lash out, to attack, to hold a grudge for a wrong done against her, to, to take the low, the wide, the more traveled road of separating us from them, me from you. She's had more than her fair share of opportunities to dismiss and disregard or even disown people in the neighborhood at work, within the church, oh yeah, within the church, among her family, including her children, to use words that tear a person down until there is nothing but shreds of their humanity left lying on the ground, littered with their dignity. But for her part, with her words in her heart, with her hands, she has sought the way of Christ, the way of peace with everyone. Now listen, I don't care which side of the aisle you're seated. I don't care what battle colors you wear. Don't care whose banner you are fighting under as you follow the voices filled with seductive promises to, to solidify the dream world you envision for yourself and everyone else. I don't care. I don't give a rat. I don't give one wit. Because the revelatory vision we have heard comes from the voice of Jesus. The crucified, risen, ascended, ruling Lord whose name we bear. And that vision, that vision depicts the ones before him, those who have come out of the great ordeal to, to be not on one side of an aisle or another, but, but rather standing before a throne. Standing, not sitting. 
a countless multitude from every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing before the throne of God, standing and still doing the work for which they've been set free, saved to do. Standing before the throne, beneath the towering banner God has set up in the midst of the nations for all peoples. The banner who's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the crucified Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Good Shepherd. The multitude stands in his shadow, the shadow of that very one who has conquered all with a word, with the word by which the creative work God had begun was finished. Father, forgive them. And the multitudes stand in robes that have been washed in his blood, poured out to save the world, stand before him as a purified, holy nation of priests, called and empowered now to, to bear his name, to represent him in all the world, their dream is that all, and all means all, might join them in the glorious work they've been saved for. And that work is to stand on the only foundation that can hold one safely through any fiery ordeal, every trial of life, the out in the open and the secret tests that confront each and every one of us every day, stand upon the saving foundation that belongs to God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb who died to save the world. God and the Lamb who bears in his hands, his feet, his side, the glorious wounds of sacrificing victory. And as those who stand before him under the banner of the crucified one perform their work of proclamation in word and in deed that have demonstrated faithful trust in God's saving power, as their witness rings out through the heavens, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. It is in that witness heaven and earth meet. In that witness, heaven and earth meet. For only, only as this lived out song sounds from the blood-washed holy ones do the heavens respond with the great Amen, followed by the sevenfold blessing to our God that rings eternally blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. It is in the hard and humbling work of those who've already and are even now and yet will come out of the great fiery ordeal to entrust oneself to God rather than to those seductive voices of self-preservation, watch out for your own, but only in such sacrifice do heaven 
and earth kiss. Only in such sacrifice are the prayers of the martyrs, are our daily prayer fully answered on earth as it is in heaven. Salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb, and that salvation abounds in steadfast love, mercy, forgiveness, and seeking peace with all. And church, them's our marching orders. Even in this fiery moment of temptation, we find ourselves today. Last month, we gathered to celebrate Mom's birthday, number 86. Met at a restaurant, had a great time. Catching up, reminiscing, eating, drinking, a steady roll of laughter around the table. And my brother asked, So, Ma, what's top on your list, we wish list for this year? What's your greatest hope, your greatest desire, your, your dream, your adventurous plan? Do you want to travel? Do you want to go to Flint? She still lives in Detroit. Colorado, New York, Toronto to visit your grandkids. And even without a pause, not a moment of consideration, well, right after the question came out, my mom's answered directly and <laughs> in a voice louder than I've heard her answer a question before, I think, ever. I want to go home. And just to be clear, she wasn't talking about going back to her house on Linden Street, back to the small yard, the flowers in the back, the memories of dad, and family, and friends that litter that house with life, the tears and laughter since they moved there in 1986. Just to be clear, home means I want, to be, I want to go to Jesus. I want to join the throng of saints who have gone on before. I just want to go home means my mother just wants to die. She's ready to die. Uh, hey, can you cut me a, another slice of cake, please, Rachel? Not exactly the answer we expected at the birthday party from this woman who, who affirms, has, affirms that she has had a wonderful, a blessed, a cherished life. But she feels her nourishing work among us and the way we become accustomed to is past. She finds her hunger and her thirst unable to be satisfied this side of paradise. And she longs for that heavenly feast body and her spirit are weary, though you wouldn't know it. Having worked to stay faithful, all the ordeals she has faced, resisting the temptation, luring her to let go of the feet of Jesus and hold on to someone, to something else. She cries more now as she prays for church 
country, world, and those she loves, her children, her grandchildren, her great-grands. As we struggle to hear the voice of Jesus above all other voices, and she knows that struggle, She's ready, she's ready to have those tears gently wiped from her eyes by the nail-scarred hand of the Lamb, now shepherd, through whom her salvation has been won. There's no shame in this. She knows it is there that she will find her spirits lifted, her body made whole, her voice again given new strength so that she might again join in with the salvation hymn of earth and enjoy that heavenly rejoinder. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. She's ready. We're not. My mom's a remarkable person. And I thank God for who she has been, who she continues to be, and who she will be on that glorious day yet to come. Now, with her, you, Christian, who are waiting, praying, longing for God's salvation to hold you fast as you strive to hear and to follow our Good Shepherd's voice, the voice of Jesus, so that as bearers of his name, we may faithfully follow him into and out of the ordeals and trials and temptations that confront us today and tomorrow, and the days to come, I invite you to rise in body or spirit and sing out the faith, even as we pray God's surprising light bolster our spirits with the vision of salvation come to the world, come to my mom, come to us through Jesus Christ, in whom our salvation alone rests. Would you join me in song?